Okay, uh, this morning's reading is from uh, the Gospel of John, and it's uh, chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. And the heading in my Bible says, Jesus prays for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known, in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. Good morning. It's good to see you. My name's Richard. I'm part of the team here, and it's uh, lovely to be able to speak to you a little bit this morning. If you've been around St. Paul's at all over the last um, few weeks, maybe like me, you'll think that it's been a really good thing to begin the year uh, and this new term with a focus on prayer. So over the last few weeks in the mornings, we've been looking at this passage in John 17, uh, which is sometimes called the uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer. Uh, which he prayed uh, before he kind of went to Gethsemane uh, and was arrested there. So it was prayed the night before his, his execution. And in the evening, if you've been along in the evening at all, we've been looking at um, some of the prayers that were prayed by the early church. And it's been great to begin this year with a real focus um, on prayer. But we don't want that focus to end um, when, uh, at the end of today. Uh, we'd love that focus for us as a church to continue, that we, might, um, that we might increasingly be shaped into that house of prayer for all nations that, that Jesus spoke of. And so I just want to highlight a couple of things that are coming up over the next few months to do with prayer that we hope will encourage uh, us individually and corporately um, in, our, in our praying. And so hopefully you'll know that on the first Monday of every month, we meet in the balcony room uh, in the evening, about 8 o'clock. We meet to, to seek God's face in worship and to pray for those things that he lays on our hearts. And we normally spend an hour or so doing that. And, um, you know, I don't know about you, but if you've been along to those evenings, I've actually found them incredibly encouraging and refreshing to spend that time in God's presence and, and praying for the things that he lays on our hearts. And I just want to invite you along. If, you, if you're ever free the first Monday of the month in the evening. We'd love to see you there. It's a great opportunity to come and, and to pray together as a church. And then coming up during Lent, uh, Lent begins at the beginning of March, we're hoping to run uh, Holy Trinity Brompton's prayer course. It's a six-week course. It's, it's based on, upon the Lord's Prayer, and uh, it basically involves a, a video, like a kind of interview video, and then some questions that can be discussed in groups. And I've, I've watched the videos and I've got to say, I think they're absolutely brilliant. Some of the, 
the stuff and the insights that are shared, some of the theology that's shared is really interesting, and the stories and examples of prayer over the, the centuries that they share are, are really inspiring. And there's lots of really helpful uh, practical tips as well given on how to sustain a life of prayer. So we, we hope to run the prayer course during Lent and hope that, that everyone might be able to take part uh, in that, and I'd really encourage you to do so. And then during Holy Week, um, which begins on the 13th of April, we're going to be running 24-7. So the chapel will be uh, transformed into a prayer room, a kind of really creative space, and there'll be opportunity to, to sign up and to, to come in and pray for an hour. We hope that uh, every single hour slot of that week, even right the way through the night, uh, will be filled with people praying. And uh, so that's coming up, and, and there'll be more details on both of those things um, to follow. But we really hope that, that those things might encourage us as individuals and corporately in prayer, because it's not always easy. Uh, but we want to be a prayerful church. And you know, I think one of the reasons we want to, to encourage prayer and grow in prayer, and, and this leads us on to the passage that was read for us, is because actually asking is one of the ways by which the kingdom of God is extended. Jesus encourages us to ask. Do you remember that he um, told that story about the persistent widow, that lady that just kept on banging on the door of the judge seeking justice and she just keeps on banging on the judge's door and eventually the judge uh, gives her what she desires. Jesus said, didn't he, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Asking is one of the means by which the kingdom of God is extended. I've been thinking about that this week and uh, just in family life. And if you've got young children, maybe I don't, I, I, my children are relatively young. Or maybe even if you've got older children, I don't know. You'll find that they, they're constantly asking for things. I, I think as the older they get, the more expensive the things are that they ask for. That's one thing I've observed. But... but um, so, so children, they're constantly asking, and one of the reasons they ask is because is they're not able to do the thing for themselves, and so they have to ask. So, for example, this week I was asked, can you, uh, almost every breakfast time, can you undo the lid on the peanut butter? It's because they can't undo it for themselves. Can you, um, can you find my swimming stuff? Now, I don't have a hope of finding the swimming stuff, so I always have to defer that one to Julie. I've got no idea where it's kept. Uh, it's a mystery to me, but can you help me find the swimming stuff? Can you open the door for me? because I can't reach the, the knocker, or I can't reach the handle, or I can't open it. Children have to ask. And, you know, there'll come a point in the life of my children where actually they don't have to ask Daddy anymore for those things. They'll be able to do them for themselves. But actually there's something about the kingdom of God in which God, um, in, in our relationship as his children, with, with him as our father, we're in that relationship where we ask for the things that we desire, the things that we want and it was great this morning to, um, to be able to come before him and to ask for the nations. Ask for the nations. I don't have any personal impact on what happens uh, in Syria or, or uh, the Democratic Republic of Congo or, or the Philippines. But it's great to be able to come before our Father and say, Father, would you? Would you? Remember that story of Abraham where uh, he hears that God is intending to bring judgment upon the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And what does he do? He asks. 
He says, yes, but God, would you do that if there were 50 righteous people in those cities? What about if there were only 40? What about 30? And actually, as Abraham persists in asking uh, his nephew Lot, who was living in those cities at the time, and his family, they're spared from the judgment that comes. God wants his children to ask. And in this amazing passage in John 17, actually that's what we see Jesus doing. We see Jesus the night before his crucifixion coming before the Father and asking. He asks for himself at the beginning of the prayer. He then asks for his disciples, for Peter, James and John and and that crew in the middle of the prayer. And then towards the end, the bit that was read for us today, amazingly, Jesus is asking on your behalf. He's asking on my behalf. Actually, in his mind, the night before his crucifixion, were those who would believe in the message of the disciples. That's, that's you. That's me. Jesus asks on our behalf. That's an amazing thing to think about. In Romans chapter 8, it says that Jesus stands at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us. This morning, uh, tomorrow morning, when you're on the tube and you're heading into work on a Monday morning, it'll probably be raining because it normally is at the moment, and it's grey and you're thinking, oh man, another week. Well, Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's praying for you at that very moment. When you're knee-deep in cornflakes tomorrow morning and searching for the swimming stuff, Jesus is praying for you at that very moment, interceding on your behalf at the right hand of the Father. What an amazing thought. Just as he prayed for us on the night before his crucifixion, he still prays. He still prays for you every single day. So let's pray ourselves and then let's look at this passage. So Father, I want to thank you for the reality of that. Thank you that, that Jesus... Our great high priest stands at your right hand and prays for us. Thank you that he's doing that right now. Lord, may we know that. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this prayer, as we look at the prayer that he prayed, that you might teach us to pray in line with your will. And we ask it in your name. Amen. So I want to suggest that Jesus prayed in this prayer for for three things, um, and we're just going to look at those things. The first thing is that Jesus prayed that the church would be united. The second thing is that he prayed that the world might be persuaded. And thirdly, he prayed that the mission might continue and be completed. That the, world would be un- the church would be united, the world would be persuaded, and the mission may be completed. And so Jesus prays this, he says, he prays for us that all of them might be one, just as you are in me and I am in you. Speaking about his relationship with his father. Then later on in verse 23 he says this, may they, meaning us, may they be brought to complete unity. In Acts chapter 2 we read of the first, um, at first Pentecost where the Spirit comes, and before the Spirit comes, it says that the, the, the followers of Jesus, they were all together 
in one room. There was a picture of unity. And in Galatians, Paul then goes on to say this, that um, that in the kingdom of God, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In the kingdom of God, in life, in the spirit, those things which in history have divided people, uh, the, the intention is that they would no longer divide that gender and race and social standing would no longer be, be stumbling blocks or divisions, but that actually people would be united under, under God. But the reality, if we look at the church at the moment, the church worldwide, and, uh, is that, that 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 isn't really the case, is it? That's not really how it is. I was uh, reading a book um, this week, Uh, John Stott, he was writing a few, uh, quite a long time ago now, he made a guess that there was something, well, not a guess, but he estimated there was something like 22,000 Christian denominations across the world. More recent figures suggest there may be over 40,000 Christian denominations. About a year ago, I was in a a service that was intended to foster Christian unity. All different kinds of Christians were gathered together from all different denominations. And it was on on that day that General Synod was voting for the first time about women bishops. I had friends in that room who who had said to me, if if the church votes in favor, I cannot continue in the, the role that I currently have. With all good conscience, I cannot continue in that role. There were other people in that room who, when they heard that the vote hadn't gone in favour of, of women bishops, who just broke down in tears, particularly women, just sat there sobbing and sobbing. Sadly, um, the church is divided. Some people have said that Jesus' prayer in John 17 is the most spectacularly unanswered prayer in human history. that his prayer for unity is the most spectacularly unanswered prayer in human history. Now, I believe that one day, absolutely, we will be united. There will be unity. But I just wonder, actually, for those of us who at this moment are in our lives struggling with issues of unanswered prayer, actually, I I believe that Jesus empathizes completely with where you're at that he understands the burden and the pain of that. Because he prayed that his, that his church might be one. And as yet, we're not. And that actually maybe for some of us, we've been carrying things in prayer for many, many years, maybe for, for uh, situations or specific people. And those prayers have not yet been answered. And I guess this morning I just want to say I believe that Jesus understands. Jesus understands the pain of unanswered prayer. John Wimber um, used to ask the question, have you fallen in love with the whole church? Have you fallen in love with the whole church? A few years ago I had the privilege of, um, of leading a, a confirmation group for, it was an Anglican church, but it was a liberal Catholic Anglican church. And uh, this church, they were, such, they were quite fun. They, they really loved communion. A- any opportunity, that you'd have a, a discussion about the church graveyard, and they'd be like, oh, should we just have a, 
let's just have a communion. That was the, that was the, they loved it. They loved that kind of thing. Just like we would say, oh, let's have a few worship songs. They'd be like, oh, let's have a communion. Go on. They loved communion. And um, they didn't say it like that. It was about, I did, they didn't really say it. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. They loved it. And um, I, had this, I, was meet, I was meeting with this little group who were preparing to be confirmed. And I had no idea really whether they would understand me. In terms of, I just had the feeling that I might speak a different language to them coming from a completely different tradition. Um, but I just thought on this first time, I just want to, on this first night of our little course, I just, I just want to hear their story. I want to hear what it is that's brought them to this point in their lives. What is it that's, that's brought them here? And um, so I, I asked the question. I didn't, I didn't know if they'd understand the question. I'd never really heard them share testimonies before. Uh, I also wondered, my thought, that my th- thought about testimonies, it's about, you know, often it's, oh, I went to a youth group meeting and there was this really amazing speaker and he, he spoke and at that point I gave my life to Jesus or, you know, something like that, those sort of things. And so I said to them, what is it that, you know, what's brought you to this point? And as I went around the room, there's just a small group, but every single one of them said, um, within the last year, I, I went up to the altar rail to to receive a blessing from the priest and as the priest laid his hand on my head I felt Jesus speak to me and call me and I was so humbled by hearing that it was totally not what I expected to hear when I asked for testimonies I almost had no expectation that something like that might happen and yet for them in that tradition their testimony was that when they came forward to receive a blessing in that moment they'd heard the voice of God, the voice of God calling their name. As I reflected on that, I had a few conversations with the vicar of that church afterwards. I just had a sense of love for them. A sense of love that wouldn't necessarily be my way of doing it or my choice, but just a love for the way that they did it and the way that God honoured that by calling those people that sort of illustration isn't there about the mice that are asked to um, describe an elephant but the reality is for a mouse you can only see it well you can see quite a lot of the elephant but you can't see the whole thing there's something about the traditions of the church that reflect different aspects of God sometimes the times I've been most blessed or most sort of inspired are when I've read books by people from other traditions you know, if you're, if you're normally someone who would read a, a books by people from certain traditions, maybe those who would feel comfortable on the new wine stage, can I just encourage you, maybe once a year, just read a book by someone from a totally different tradition and allow God to speak to you through it. John Wimber said, do you have a love for the whole church? I guess my prayer for us at St. Paul's is that, that we would be true to what God has called us to be, Absolutely but that we might be a church that loves the whole church, that we might be a church that speaks well of the bride of Christ, that we would love the whole church, that we would seek to bless the whole church, honour the whole church, and pray for the whole church. There's this lovely psalm, isn't there? Psalm... 133 it says this how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity 
It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down upon the collar of his robes. It's as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. There's this picture of, of God blessing in that place of unity. And it's an, an abundance of blessing. There's not just a tiny bit of oil on your head to mark a cross. It's an abundance of God's blessing pouring down over the beard and over the robes. Hermon, Mount Hermon was the largest mountain in Israel. It's about 9,000 feet tall. It's in the north of Israel. The snow that melts and the dew that forms on that mountain forms streams that form the Jordan River. The Jordan River is the main source of water for the nation of Israel. Mount Zion is just a tiny little hill in comparison. It's an image of abundance, of abundant water falling on Mount Zion. God blesses that place of unity. It was such a privilege, wasn't it, to be part of things like the Winter Night Shelter or the Food Bank, where churches in this community are working together to serve the poor, to love the poor. Such a privilege and so important to be part of those things. But this blessing isn't just for us. No problem. This blessing isn't just for us. Jesus prays that the world might be persuaded. Actually, our unity, the love that we have for each other, is there in part to convince the world of the deity of Christ. It's there to convince the world of who Jesus is really is it's very hard isn't it to um to speak of of a god of grace if actually people don't find much grace in the church it's hard to speak of a god who forgives if people don't encounter forgiveness in the church the other week i um i spoke to a lady she came here for the first time and um a little while ago a week last week actually I spoke to her and she said, actually, when I came, there was such warmth. People were so warm and loving, serving me with coffee and even collecting my cup at the end. May people who come here experience that love and that warmth. May they experience the grace of God in this place so that the world might be persuaded. And finally... Jesus prays that we might be with him where he is, we might see his glory, and that we might be filled with his love. I think there's a, both a, a present and a future aspect to that. Jesus prays that one day we'd be with him where he is, and we would see his true glory. That's our hope, that one day we'll stand there before the King of Kings. And we'll see him for who he is. Paul prays with confidence that God who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. But there's also, I think, a present reality about that. May we be a church that knows the glory of God. That God's presence might reside in this place and reside in his people. Uh, The last couple of months we've gathered on a Monday evening to pray People have had two different people have had the same picture a picture of uh, the church, St. Paul's church, filled with light and light that kind of shines out of the windows into this community. And so we've taken time to pray into that picture. But may that be the case. 
may God's glory reside here and in his people here that the world might see who he is and finally Jesus prays an amazing thing he prays that the love that the father has for the son may also be in us that we might know the love that God the father has for God the son and that that love might be in us and then Jesus prays that he also might be in us by his spirit that we may be a people filled with the love of God knowing the power of God at work in our lives and responding to him with a similar affection so Jesus prays that we might be united Jesus prays that the world might be persuaded and he prays that we might see his glory and know his love Shall we stand together and pray?